They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. With the bye-bye-bye-bye. bye-bye-bye-bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Hello, Danny Rainsford. How are you doing? Yeah. Hello, David Hellard. How are you? Uh, actually, um, I've got to admit, I'm, I'm kind of over this. But n- yeah, not great. Not great. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Is this a cry for help? Because you're talking to the wrong person here. <laughs> Well, I was, yeah, I've had I've had a bit of a wobble. I mean, you you knew last week that our house fell through the day before we signed contracts. So all of my yeah, and all my imaginary life that I'd already created, and all the friends that we'll never have because we're not moving there. And, <laughs> <laughs> like all the little stories, I you know I, I knew I knew the the. Uh, once I was back running the Strava segments I was going to go for in the local area, you know, I, oh, I was priorities. Priorities. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We're going to move to this area. Um, have we done? Uh, yeah, have, have we checked the proximity to schools? Have we checked the transportation routes? Have we checked? Whoa, 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 whoa! Strava segment first. <laughs> wait, wait. Well, no, no. Maybe we shouldn't move here. There's someone like Rich Medowell is close. He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna have all the Strava. We, CFTB is going to clean. What's it? What's it called when you own your area? Is it a lo- local hero or something? What's it called? Um, they've. It's a new because I haven't run in over a year. It's a new feature that I no longer know the the terms of. I'm I'm out of date with Strava now. Um, I don't yeah, think, but I don't you know can. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it to you, but one of the dads um, is. I think he's furloughed or he's made redundant or something. But all he's been doing is running. And he's been picking up Strava segments everywhere in like, <laughs> and I think he he whatever the name is is like local hero or you know the person that kind of runs rules the area, and he had his birthday cake made up like it as well. <laughs> it was like a Strava hero. Or something. Right. Once once we're back, once lockdown's over, we'll we'll do a ram raid and we'll take down all of his. We'll get. We'll get um, Stu, we'll, we'll get we Rick. Ship, we ship BBR in to absolute... Oh, yeah. It's like just a, in one day, just wipe him out. A flash running mob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I feel like, unlike the previous lockdowns, there's just no... I've got no... I've got no boy projects. I've got nothing that I'm looking forward to. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like, normally... I'd be training for a race or I'd be they're like the wedding. Who knows if that's going to happen? There's nothing that I'm spending my evenings feeling a bit naughty on my laptop, causing mischief doing. So I need a new challenge, a new focus. I don't know what it would be. So do that. If you've got any ideas at the moment, it's got to the stage where I'm thinking about relearning the oboe to play a song for my sister's wedding. Oh, <laughs> that's not a life to live, is it? Is that true excitement? Are you an oboe? No, has this not come up before? No, I don't think we've ever mentioned this. Pre-discussed <laughs> started playing the clarinet. So, 
Uh, why? Why do you want your your daughter to be a geeky loser? Get her get doing the trumpet. Get her doing like the the saxophone or the drums or the the rock guitar. Are you saying this because Libby was saying because I um it, it got to the point where she really wants to be back at school. She really needs to be back at school because she's kind of mm-hmm. working on on um uh, what's it called Google Classroom every day as though she's like a worker or something. Is you know it's, it's horrible. So mm. I hired um, a clarinet for her. Because um, you can hire everything. It's incredible. I hired a clarinet for her. How much, said how much for a week is a clarinet? I, it's actually relatively cheap. It's like £16 a month. Which, really? if, you're, if, you're losing, if you're learning a new instrument, like, that's much, well, much cheaper than buying it, isn't it? Given and that you're so, going to ditch it in after two months, exactly. it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I thought I'd get it for her, just so she can kind of, like, play, you know, sort of play around with everything. And uh, Libby goes, oh... Isn't it amazing how she just, you know, off her own back decided she wanted to learn the clarinet? I'm like, she didn't off the, no one off their back learns to play the, wants to play clarinet. She's been pushed there by her teachers. They obviously have a clarinet sized hole in their orchestra and they've gone, do you know, Frida, you might, I think you've got <laughs> at the clarinet. Because, you don't even I, need talent at the clarinet yeah. with the numbers we've got. I even use the example, no one learns the oboe off the back of it. No one ever decides, oh, I'm going to play the oboe. How did you How did you um, end up learning the oboe? I mean, it's one of my great regrets. And while it's quirky, it's quite a quirky thing. But It's quite quirky. I'm not even sure what an oboe looks like. Is it like a bassoon? Yeah, if you imagine a bassoon without the bit on the end, it's it's thin and long, and it's got the it's got the double reed out the top. That's the big difference. So the bassoon and the oboe both have that double reed. But I was young when I decided I wanted to play it, and one of the reasons I thought I wanted to play it is because I caught the I thought the saxophone was called the oboe. So I asked to play the saxophone. <laughs> And my parents didn't hire me a saxophone. They bought me an oboe, at which point I was kind of a bit (laughs) embarrassed to admit it. And I'm like, well, here we are. And and ever since then, I've been on a quest to find every cool oboe song. And, um, and, uh, well, that's cool, cool's too far. Every oboist. At least the clarinet. The clarinet <laughs> probably me. Has, it's probably me. <laughs> the clarinet has Acker Bilk. I keep saying to her, I'm like, oh, you, one day you could be as good as Acker Bilk. And she's like, no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, I, I don't know who that is, but he sounds pretty cool. Acker Bilk. He, he sounds right, like so the leader of the Warriors. He's so old. Well he's, well, he's dead now. But he was so old that he was on. He used to be on. Did you ever watch the Harry Hill show? And Acker Bilk was on it. Okay. In fact, now I'm thinking about it, I'm not even sure it was the real Akabilk. It might have been someone playing Akabilk. Is it Harry dressed up? It might. It might have been Harry, or it might have been someone else. I genuinely thought that might that was Akabilk. Maybe someone can confirm that. But that you think you're the most you're the most famous oboist. My, Lisa, Lisa used to play the saxophone. I hate the. I saxophone. like to say oboist. Oboist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the, the only tunes that I, I've found that anyone knows with the oboe in, and now that I'm older, this is still tenuous. Kiss from a Rose by Seal. There's an oboe in that. Yeah. That's going to be like the most famous oboe riff, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it's either that or Gabriel's oboe from the mission. But if you don't know the mission, you won't know that. But also, do you, do you remember Tini, uh, Tanika Tikaram? Oh, I love Tanika Tikaram. That's the oboe. Good tradition of love and hate. Um, oh, I don't know that song. Isn't that Twist in my sobriety. But too bad, because we've not heard of Twist in my sobriety. That is a proper tune. She was, I think she was a Native American singer who was sexy as hell, from, as I remember, as an eight-year-old, I remember maybe even that. younger. And it is sultry. I mean, if that song came out now, it would still blow people away. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm contemplating currently. But then, but then it's, isn't it weird how you, you feel bad and then you, you hear about other people's circumstances? The BBRD newsletter came out this week. I didn't realise that Imogen, based in Ireland, she's been limited. They're allowed to run, but they're not allowed to run more than 2K from their house for the whole of lockdown. What do you mean? Like, they're not allowed to travel 2K to run wherever they want, or they have no. to stay within so it, a 2K radius? If, you, if you're an Irish ultra runner, you have to do it within 2K of your house. Oh, wow. So imagine there must be some people who live at the end of like a 1K well, the single track. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> or up a tower. Up a, up a, up a two and a half K high tower. <laughs> and um, I mean, she's or on, she or on that, a desert island. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I, I guess Corona is not the, the, the limiting factor if you're on a 2K island, but um. But yeah, but I mean, she said that she's really struggled with loving running. And you can understand why, because you've got to be pretty lucky to be somewhere within 2K of somewhere variable and nice and interesting to run. And even if you are, you only are for a month and then you're bored senseless with it. Um, yeah, so it seems like a extreme rule, but yeah. Anyway, how are you? How are you? All right. At this point, we should introduce who our guest is going to be. We should. We should. We've got the we lovely did, Laz. It'd be really good. It'd be really good. But we've got we've got Laz coming up. Yeah, we don't need to say more about that. We've got more Laz. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to the, the first six hours of Laz that we've done, listen to those. It's so insightful. If you're here wanting to know why, why did he come up with the Barclay Marathons, we've done all those questions. This interview is doubling down on the debt, but also exploring the the rise of the, the Bigs backyard and the how that's taken off the uh, the run across Tennessee, whatever it's called, yeah, uh, his virtual run. For the, vir the virtual runs for, for Laz has been something phenomenal, broken new ground, even surprised him as well. Yeah, like 20,000 people, 20 plus thousand people <laughs> registering online to do it. Amazing, amazing. Um, but yeah, um, good news. I found. Have you seen about the fake marathon? The fake marathon uh, is it yeah. called Edinburgh? <laughs> <laughs> so this was Brent put this in the the Facebook group, and a guy called Kyle Shiel. He's decided he he seems like quite a fun guy. So I've uh, you know when you you find someone and you start re looking at their Instagram or looking at their page. He previously, all I can, all I can, he, he's got quite a following for some reason, but the main reason seems to be that he bought a tandem bike 
and he put legs on the back of it so he could be a minotaur on a tandem. So when he cycled, (laughs) (laughs) which to me is, is brilliant. One of the greatest things you can do. So he's created this thing called the home run marathon where you enter your email. It's free. I'm not going to tell you the web address because it is incredibly complex. It's just the subdomain of his own website. But if you go in the group and look up uh, fake marathon um, and you you then get an email which takes you to you can download your own race number. It's got all these other assets. And the idea is that you just fake doing your own marathon at home. (laughs) And they'll they'll announce all the results and publish it as if you've done a marathon, which I think is great for for us right now. (laughs) It's the future of marathons. It is. It'd be interesting if Eddie Izzard does 31 of those in uh, in 31 (laughs) days. I've done the highest (laughs) number of fake marathons. (laughs) Sometimes even two in a day. But I love the idea of that because, um, I mean, that, it's interesting that he's gone with Marathon. So Marathon clearly has enough kudos that people want to do it. But he, apparently, according to the Washington Post, and this was before it went in the Washington Post, he'd had 50,000 signups. I don't know how much of that is marketing spill. I mean, that is a good way to get a, an email list of runners, that isn't is it? That's a great way to get an email list of, pe- of, of, I mean, of dubious individuals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the FBI are probably hacking that email. Yeah, it's gone straight <laughs> to the FBI. There we go. <laughs> but that is a, that is surely a list of fifty thousand do batters. Derek, Derek at Marathon Investigation must be going. Oh, how do I how do I get my hand on that list? <laughs> years ahead. I could get half of these people to commit suicide if I uh, <laughs> if I just publish well enough. <laughs> but 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 um, yeah, so. That is great news for all. But also, I have been, um, this is the desperation. So are you aware that Briggsy is obsessed with Fast and the Furious? No, I wasn't. Like, obsessed. So her... In what way? How How does she demonstrate that obsession? She has a love for the Fast and the Furious that is probably greater than our love for 80s Arnie movies. (gasps) <gasps> no, sees no, in... no, I don't, I don't believe such a love exists. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, so he has, I've always put off watching the Fast and the Furious because obviously it's, it's drivel. Um, but it's, I guess it's the same kind of drivel that Arnie is. So she has got me to now start watching it because I haven't really what got an excuse not to. Is it nine? Are they all Fast and Furious nine? Or... Not, I think that's not the next one coming out. It's spin-offs. Yeah, doesn't, I'm not sure if that includes Hobbs and Shaw, but I don't, yeah. what I like about it, it's got a little bit of attitude that I think we could introduce into, um, into Bad Boy Running. Now, we've already got the press-ups at the start. So we've already got the uh, sprint finish at the sprint start. We've already got the press-ups at the end. But in number two, they're driving, and the guy flips his car around into reverse, flicks the finger, and then flips back. And I was wondering what, whether that should be the new, if you're going to overtake someone, there is this strategy that you, you overtake them quickly so that they don't try and cling on to you um, and you break their spirit with a fast overtake. But I think this is better. You go round someone, you turn around, you jog backwards, you flick the bird, 
and then you carry on. Right, what I love so, about that is that for good runners, that is going to look amazing. For do badders, you're going to sprint. <laughs> you're going to flip the bird three seconds you're gonna later. You're going to overtake you again. <laughs> there, there You've got to use all your energy on this. There is, so a, you can't. <laughs> there is a certain pointlessness and patheticness to it that I think is just that can just be beautiful. Does this, when it, is this overtaking anybody, or is it just are you sprinted to try and get ahead of the first person? Flipping because imagine that would have been amazing when you led the London Marathon. <laughs> <laughs> the backwards bird. Yeah, that would have been. <laughs> and then, have and been... then they're all passing at you as you cough your guts out at the, at the <laughs> like ten meters on. Run into a, a bollard. That's great. Yeah. That's great. But we we need a phrase to take the edge off the bird. Um, so the because I think just the bird in itself is a bit aggressive. Well, I think so. We need you, you only do it when you overtake another do badders. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. That's that's or, to do. or cyclists. <laughs> so, there's a problem with that though, isn't there? Cause so, <laughs> but you turn around, flip the bird, and then you stop, and they have to do that breaky, swervy thing. It's the birdie bicycle. The birdie. The B B R birdie bicycle birdie. B B R B B. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's good but i've um i've got some good news as well um that is there's i found a charity that we've always said what do we do with our medals yeah i found one i don't think they're in the uk but really nice idea it's called medals for metal metal is in um kind of grit yes and um so metal medalsformetal.org I'll put it in the group really really nice idea you send them your medals you give them a story and then they take them to children and adults who are fighting serious illnesses and they give these children these kick-ass medals oh. I just think it's the nicest idea I mean, they're, they're going to be overwhelmed with medals at some point because they're, you know, we're going to need more children, basically. But, um, but yeah, I just think that's such a good idea of what to do with your, I mean, I, I couldn't care less about any of my medals, really, other than the Comrades one because it's quite cute. But, yeah. And it reminds you of when you got engaged. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, that's yeah. It. Maybe oh yeah, that as well. <laughs> Maybe I'll turn it into, like, a really gaudy um, oh, yeah. signet ring. It's about the right size. But, yeah, um, I'm going to get in touch with them just to find out if they've got any plans to bring this to other other places in in in, uh, in the world, but particularly across Europe, but also do balance. If you're from a charity, if you're from a, a child's charity, is this something we could put together with you? Because we just need an address. We'll send things into or potentially – we can coordinate it at the running show south or, or various other events. And, uh, and you can then have a, a massive box of medals for all of the children who are in Make-A-Wish or, or anything else similar. Um, but, yeah, that, I mean, that to me is the best, good idea. the best use I've heard so far. Yeah, that's brilliant. That really is good. I love that. I love the idea of having a story as well um, mm -hmm. that goes with it. That's yeah, and, and that personal connection and... Yeah, absolutely. 
particularly if what would be really great if you get to a point where you could um you can then raise money for that charity and and dedicate your medal that you finish your London in or your your next race yeah, that you've got a real reason yeah real reason to race yeah that's really good I really love that yeah and it wasn't what's been happening in your world sir uh, do you know what it's been all right everything's been all right I'm running again I've got no gal it's all it's all relatively pleasant I don't you know I've, I don't feel um I, I, I'm always very nervous that the gout's going to come back. I don't really know because no one, really, no one's been able to tell me whether I, whether what causes it or the issue. Um, mm. But I can feel it when it when it kind of comes. Um, my like all my blood tests and stuff like that. I need to I need to go back and do another blood test. Um, it's just the doctors. You know, it's difficult to get through as you can as you can imagine. It's not. My gap's not actually a priority number one for the NHS at the moment, so uh, there are there are <laughs> there are other things on the horizon for them. But, um, but it's, but yeah, it's, quite, it's not a nice position to be in, is it? Where you because I feel the same with my injury, where it's so annoying and desperately frustrating, but you just don't feel that you can complain or kick up too much of a fuss or take up too much time. No, no. But the thing is, it's going on the NHS stuff is going to be so delayed. I'm supposed to be getting my wisdom teeth out. Um, which is a, it's not a, just an operation to be done at the dentist as, as they can with most things because they're apparently they're really they're deep. You're like who knew? Who knew teeth are deep? Um, but it's like a, it's, it's it's like a three year waiting list now. It was already it was already a one year like a one year backup for for you to even get an appointment when sort of COVID started and now it's it's, it's three years. It's, they reckon it's be a year before I even get a, a letter about it. Um, well, I mean, the good news is, if you think about there's places in South America, all around the world, where they're legalizing abortion, which is great news for, for obviously those countries. But also, all of those backstreet clinics could be now available for uh, foreign wisdom teeth. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. <clears throat> It's, um... <laughs> I mean, it's worth considering. Nice holiday as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I like I like your thought process there. Uh, <laughs> one person's abortion law is another person's potential ability to extract wisdom teeth. Yeah, Stop I don't. It. Have you? Do you have? Do you talk? And then sometimes Siri just decides to chip in with uh, with with a comment. Something went wrong. What? what? Please try. <laughs> Something went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> do you think she's picked up on a? Uh, um, abortion and backyard oh, clinic. Do you, do you think Siri's a conservative? Of <laughs> course oh, she is. If she starts going, she goes, you wait till Amy Coney Barrett has a, has a ruling on this. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> but um, have you seen, have you seen where there's been drug news again, double drugs? I mean, we're not going to linger too long on this. First, another Russian... 100 meter, 110 meter hurdle champion Sergey uh, Shabenkov. He's done for doping. Oh no! Just when we were hoping we could, you know, I guess he's the old generation. But also the interesting one is um, the American Brianna McNeil. These hurdles as well, and she's been done for tampering. They've not actually explained what she was doing. That's unusual. Normally, but, normally it's for missing tests, isn't it? That's the. Well, the trouble is, she's already been done for missing tests. Yeah, and. If she then gets done for this tampering, which I've tried to find out what it is, it's the second time, and so she'll be out 
for the end of her career now. So that's her done. Oh, really? Which is a pretty big deal. And there's now being enough Americans who have been done for, if you think of Gatlin, then you've had uh, Memory, the uh, the other 100 meter champ, and for, for him for missing. And then you've got um, Brianna. Now, these are really high profile Americans. And suddenly we've been talking about how easy it is for, well, how understandable it is for Russians to think the narrative of everyone doping and they're just the ones being uh, ostracized by the international community because of politics. When you see so many Americans actually being caught, then it doesn't seem so unreasonable. Um, yeah. But yeah, that would, I can't wait to find out what the actual intricacies are of that, of that tampering because tampering sounds really bad and whether that's actually trying to cheat the system or whether that's you've used the wrong bottle and you put it in the fridge by accident or, you know, something along those lines. Because actually that's what's the, but we, um, linking on from the medals, we were going to talk about gratitude runs, weren't we? Oh yes. Oh yes. We were going to talk. So <clears throat> we get a lot of, um, a lot of messages. We get good messages for, from do badders, but we get a lot of messages uh, sent through from, either PR companies or people who want to get on the podcast. And I just kind of think it's time that we kind of talked about it because it's one of Mm. those gratitude runs is one of those things, but what Mm. there seems to be this proliferation of people doing or people trying to promote um, runs, which they're always based around something that, and invariably they're always based around gratitude or mindfulness, or they've got some mental health angle, which, and you can see like, the perspective they're coming from because they're obviously trying to promote it in the press. And, and, and I think it's one of those ones where it's kind of at the moment, if, you, if you're talking about mental health and stuff, it like journalists like that. And you yeah, it get gets in column place. inches, isn't it? And it gets column inches. And, you know, it's not really about the distance you go or anything else like that. It gets column inches. Like when you actually sort of dig down into it as to how much these things are actually really properly focused on doing these things, they they just feel so transient and like it hasn't really got that heart. All it's got at heart is how do we get press for this? But when when you look at like deep into them. Mm. And it's it's that question of is, well, I mean, do better. Let us know what you think, because there's certainly different levels of this. And. But the a typical example would be a run which says, pay money to do this run in your own time, wherever you are. And if you upload to Strava, great. And then because of that, we're uniting the world um, in positivity to save us from um, you know, mental health issues or, or whatever it may be. And um, there, I mean, there's been there's been some done like Danny Bent's one, which was really nice, where that was every country in the world and is run at a specific time. It is all going for charity and they were doing all these things to link people together. But because it just seems so unconnected in that whatever it says it's setting out to achieve, I, I personally don't get a sense that me running by myself with no connection to anyone else from this race in any way is doing anything positive for my mental health. And so it, it now is now falling into this area where is this just exploitative of people who want to raise their profile or people who want to 
get emails or generate money or uh, create a race empire or sell training plans or become a coach to more people. And that's what I really struggle with because there's so little substance behind a lot of these runs. Yeah. And I, but I don't know how, and, and you, you don't, I mean, you hope that the person is just this wonderful person who's organizing it, but I still don't get, I don't get how they'd see that that is a positive. Like if, for example, the, the Bad Boy Running Club all took part in uh, some virtual relays. And that was great because you then had different people coming together in a team who then were handing over each other, who were coordinating photos, who were communicating. And so when they were running, it was as part of this challenge for their team. So they were actually trying to get as fast a time for their team. They had to decide which distance they're doing. And actually, you're creating a community. You're engaging with people. You're, you're, you've got this shared challenge. But a lot of these other events are just you pay as money and you run by yourself for a positive thing. I mean, it, am, am I being... Am I being too harsh here, too bad? The thing is, a lot of them, a lot of them are, are, are kind of not, they haven't even done the thing yet. Like, a lot of them are just kind of like ideas that they've managed to get some press around and they're planning to do it. There's not even anything there at the moment. But it, it's kind of incredible how, it, it, and it does completely feel exploitative. It completely feels as though you're using mental health, mindfulness, um, gratitude, or what, whatever it is, in order to try and try and get that. And I don't know whether a lot of these things are associated with, they don't seem to be associated with race organisations. It, it doesn't seem to be that mm. way. And, and I, you know, I'm not doubting that those, those people probably do have um, you know, sort of good intentions for it. But it, it, why, you know, thinking about what will actually be beneficial to people suffering from those rather than coming up with a, like a mechanism which, which just doesn't, it doesn't feed into it. It doesn't build any connection. There's there's no real understanding of how community comes together other than, well, setting up a Facebook group that people can come in. You're like, that that kind of isn't it needs to be more than that. What what is what is the thing that, mm. that kind of sets this apart from, from everything else that anyone's doing? And so we, we kind of get a load of those saying, Oh, can we come on the podcast and, and talk about this thing that, that we're doing? And it's you kind of go, What but there's nothing there's nothing really there. Yeah, because do that. Is there anyone out there who's taken part in these types of events and actually have felt a really positive? Um, it's been really positive on their mental health, or you know, created a ripple that has led to other things and, and resulted. You know, are we being overly harsh here? Um, you know, I, I hope that the club and the podcast and things like that do bring people together in the Facebook group because you you then actually get to know names and people and chats and but. Are we, you know, have you got good experiences of these types of events? Because actually, the the next step on is if people aren't, then we need to start calling out some of these organisations and say, no, what are you doing? Where's the money going? Like, where are we? Is this all going to charity? Um, because if not, then it's just using up the goodwill towards people's tolerance for hearing stories about mental health without actually helping the situation. And so there's a, there's a limited amount of press of inches and, and money that will people give to that. So, uh, yeah, let us at letters at badboyrunning.com. Question for you. I, I read a, uh, a column 
mm. in the Telegraph from a, a, a sports agent talking about why the Olympics needs to be sort of not scrapped, but they need to refocus it. I didn't, I didn't agree with it, and especially because he was a sports agent as well. But he was essentially saying, it's an interesting point, he was essentially saying that the, the Olympics is completely irrelevant for our time. Um, you know, they need to rethink, they, they try to add bits and pieces to try and make it more relevant, kind of looks pathetic, you know, so we, we ha- I don't think we've talked about breakdancing as an Olympic sport, have we? And the addition <laughs> of that, which... <laughs> because the idea is that you know the clear the clear yeah, do you mean for the, the do you mean our time is in during covid or our time is in 2021 well, say it was kind of mixed up in both it was saying that covid has really um shown it up to be irrelevant to 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 a lot of things that the olympics should still go ahead not not necessarily the olympics should go ahead but they need to really sort of reframe what the Olympics is about and, and what should be contained within it. Um, mm. And it, it, it weirdly said this thing uh, along the lines of, you know, that adding the things like the break dance and stuff like that is there to appeal to sort of TikTok generation and Generation Z and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and then it kind of suggested that we carry on going down that route and, and think about it in, in, in a much wider cultural sense. Like, what should the Olympics be about? It, it, you know, it may not just be about sport, but it might be sport plus something else. And, um, and then it kind of had a dig at public, you know, public school sports. So, you know, why is like, um, is it modern pentathlon or, or, or whatever? Why, mm. why are they, or pentathlon, modern heptathlon or whatever? Um, but why are those still in there? Why is rowing still in there? Really interesting. I w- I'd like to see what his, um, uh, he, who he's an agent for and whether that, refl- <laughs> whether that reflects that view. Mm. But it does, make, it does make an interesting point, I think, which is a general, general thing about the Olympics, is... What can, like, kind of, like, what direction should it go? Because they do keep adding these things. They do get adding, like, and breakdancing is the weirdest thing to add of all the things to add. It's like a re, it's like a plaster to try and go, okay, this is our feeble attempt to try and get younger people to watch it. And, you know, do you, would it be better is actually they just strip back the number of sports in there altogether and make more out of the ones that they had? Like, because at the centre of the Olympics, is track and field, isn't it? That is that. I, I don't know whether mm. people disagree with me, but you know, like, why is golf? Why is um, tennis? Mm. Why is football in there when there are bigger events in the world than that? But for 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 sport, that is for, for athletics and stuff. That is. So I don't know. I'm just interested because the, the other thing is like there's a lot of chat about whether it's still going to go ahead or not. What, do you think it's going to go ahead? I I think it has to because just because of the schedules. But you've got without, to feel sorry crowds. for. Yeah, and then you've got to feel sorry for for Japan because they would have spent billions and for, for no no gain in terms of their tourism or the, the, their cultural exchange and things. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the Olympics actually used to have things like poetry in it years ago. Did it? Did it? It was a lot. Yeah, when it first first started, it Are was we really about first, broad. Like, Greek 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 era started. Or no, I think. About, uh, even in the kind of 1900s, yeah, it had some, and, and bizarrely, until they brought back, it was, it was one quiz question I used to love, until they brought back um, rugby sevens a few years ago, America were the defending champion of rugby sevens, um, the Olympic champions of, of rugby, sorry, because it, it had been in there and they got rid of it. And, but I think the, well, firstly, breakdancing, that's what I wanted to put tickets to in Paris. 
I, I think it would be super cool, super fun. And if you've got um, ice skating, I don't see why you, you don't have break dancing. But it, I just find it strange when people That's get That's angry. That's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought of it like that. You're, you're absolutely right if you've got ice skating, yeah. But I don't understand why people are getting angry from other, from including more sports. For people it's always, who it's always at the expense of one that they like, isn't it? That's that's why they get annoyed because they go, "Well, why isn't ultra running? Why isn't OCR? Why isn't why isn't that true?" Much, why but they, the sport that I think is most important allowed over breakdancing, which people don't even think is a sport. Yeah, and I'm with you that I I think the Olympics should be the pinnacle of any sport, and so therefore golf, tennis, football shouldn't be in it because it's not as big as the World Cup or as the um, the Grand Slams or whatever it may be yeah. or the Masters um, and that's just done for popularity and he's, he's Justin Rose is the Olympic champion because he really cared and wanted to win the golf um, it is that's all it is it's just it's who takes it seriously that year mm-hmm. who decides that they want because they they just go well these other people are obviously at the top of the game I'm just going to go for it here mm. but it's it's the if they don't do it this year and they do it next year, well, it, it's going to have all these knock-on effects. And but also, I think the world needs it more than ever. If you, if you remember when you were young, yeah. you'd spend your entire summers watching. Like I'd get up and just watch athletics every morning when the Olympics was on all day. I absolutely yeah. loved it. And we only won one gold. So you'd, you'd be up to, you know, <laughs> it was, it was always much more, much more interesting in that sense, wasn't it? Because you were just like, are we going to go home completely empty handed? <laughs> oh, we've got one bronze. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually now it would be so great to have these competitive sports that are on TV and getting people inspired to be active again. And it would be complex to do and it would it won't be fair because it will, it will disproportionately hamper poorer countries. And some people would have had the you know, inoculations by then to so be back to normal trend. But ultimately, it needs to be done at some point and the world needs positivity. So I think right. it, I, I think the more you can include young people, that's great. I think esports is a bit of a weird one. If, if oh, that was that's the other thing. Ah, see, there we go. Now you've reminded me because that's what that's what he that's the crux of his argument when he got towards it. That it's about how how why don't we why are we not including esports and and bringing that into it as well? Yeah, and I, I guess the big thing would be that esports isn't physical at all, and nearly I think every sport is. Well, maybe not shooting. Mm. Yeah, but um, weird, isn't it? It's weird. It's like it's weird how because yeah, I, I was thinking you know, it's, it, you're right. Ice skating. How is ice skating in there? If that is essentially you know, is dancing nice. For me, the heart of the of the Olympics is about the positive impact it can have on society and inspiring people to get active. And to, um, you know, to, to push themselves. And I just don't think you get that with esports. I, I don't think it's great for people to be inspired to play Fortnite better. And, you know, what, what is the positivity of more people wanting to play esports? I tell you what, though. Watching someone else play a video game is much, much more interesting than watching sailing. 
I mean, that, why, remember the sailing, the, all of the sailing competition, it was, I think it was all, was it all in Weymouth uh, in the 2012 Olympics? And there was a mist. You could, and literally you were staring at mist watching, oh, you just had to take it as someone's word that it was happening. The other thing about the Olympics is um, it's always, you've got that excitement now that um, you kind of have the Olympics twice. So you have a medal table at the end of the actual Olympics, and then you go back four years' time, and it's all completely changed because of the yeah. And so well, you're like, oh. We should be, we should have a, our own um, Olympic Fantasy League where in four years' time we have to choose who we think the dopers are. And you get points in four years for who's been busted. Doping Fantasy League, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I think we'd all settle on a few athletes quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that, that, would, that would make things a bit more interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, it really would. And, and also, the, I, I've been thinking about the whole issue with the, the fact that dopers are taking away the opportunity to win money and to get sponsorship, well, mainly to get sponsorship and to in, increase profile from people that deserved it. So, athletes... If you believe your opponents are doping and that in the future you're going to be given that medal, but you're not going to get the money from it, you need to take out a loan and you need to make a bet that you think in the next eight years they're going to be done for doping. And then when you're proven right, ka-ching, the money's coming home. I wonder, you, can you, uh, I don't know anything about gambling, so you, uh, and I imagine that you do. Can you, will, will a, will a, uh, uh, like a bookies take a bet on that i think they would if you if you walked into a bookies well, i can't do that now bookies will take any bet that they think they can make money on there's no limit to it and the main thing is they'll you can ask them they'll probably do a little bit of research there and, and the, the, tr the trouble would be if you're against a russian athlete then you're not going to get good odds because they'll just look at it and be like well we had a hundred It'd be interesting to go to the bookie with a list of names and say and see what the odds would be on oh. because that would yeah. be really interesting. That would be great. And how much of it is based on prejudice? How much of it is based on yeah. um, um, improvements in performances, body hair? We could, we could publish that and go, look, we're not saying they are, but this is what the bookies think of these names. Because I've, I've been listening to a podcast all about drugs and they're doing one episode on sports. And have you heard of Barry Bonds? It's a name I knew, Barry but I, I wasn't sure how I knew him. It sounds really familiar. It's the kind of name that he's either a boxer or something like that. That's the, what, what, what is he? He's a professional baseball player. Barry Bond. And he was, it's a good name, isn't it? It's a great name. He's, he's like a middle name as well, but his middle name's Barry. He's, he's the guy, he's a loan shark. He's the it's guy American. that you take out. Yeah, American. yeah. It's called Barry, Barry Bond. So his wife, his ex-wife, was used in the court proceedings. His against wife's him. premium. <laughs> yes, that's right. Sorry. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, she was one of the witnesses to the fact that he'd taken drugs. And she said that because of the drugs he was taking, and I'm, I've, I, I stopped listening to this podcast as you came on. So I, I was listening to this conversation. That's why I've got it in my Google, because so I was just looking at a picture of him to figure out who it was. She said that the drugs had such an impact on him that he actually had to change his head, his helmet size. His helmet went up two sizes 
and you can see the now see the plates in his head because his head had expanded so much and you can just see the the skin stretched between those plates what what was yeah. these i don't know because i mean it must be some kind of steroids because he was he's he's 56 so this would have been in the in the late 90s so i assume steroids i'm going to listen to the end of this episode to find out but that is impressive isn't it to see someone physically transform that much that their head expands yeah i didn't know that could be done well we're having a link this i must i must be on steroids because i've got a massive head (laughs) (laughs) when you when your hair eventually all falls out we'll have a look to see if we can see the plate (laughs) i'll test myself i'll test myself steroids but um, I'm not sure how we're going to segue in, into this to our interview. Now, before we go to the interview, just to say the connection with Laz wasn't great. So we apologize for that. But also it did mean that at times I wouldn't say this was the best interview we've ever done because we couldn't really interject with questions because there was always a lag whenever we spoke. And then he, it would interrupt his flow. And and so we do go into some some areas where we talk about particularly um, the controversy surrounding the politicalization of some of his races. And I think we, we asked some questions that were good, but actually because we didn't have that communication smoothly with him, we couldn't really ask it in a way that we probably would have done justice to the questions or to lads. So if anyone feels that we've not um, you know, asked the right questions or that we've maybe um, given lads a bit of a hard time, then apologies, that really wasn't our intention. It just was very hard to actually conduct conduct a sensitive interview when you you weren't cro- you were crossing over in everything you said. So that's our explanation. I, I hope you still enjoy it. Hopefully, it's all really good still because I um, could be wrong in my aspersions of that. But guess you're going to find out. Take it away, Nick. So, dear Ballas, we've got a treat for you. We spoke to Laz about two years ago for the first time, and he also came over for the the running show earlier this year, last year now, almost. A year. <laughs> but um, everyone knew Laz because of the the Barclay Marathons, even though he did a huge number of races. And this past year, seem things seem to have spiraled. I'm not going to say out of control, but to an uh, like insane level with lots of his races. So we wanted to catch up with Laz, see how he's doing, see what his plans are, and, and just to, to bring you up to speed with what's happened with, um, with, with Big's Backyard and, and the Vol State and various other things. So welcome back on the podcast, the wonderful Laz. Yay! Yay! How's it going? Uh, I, things are going good here. I'm uh, I'm getting uh, over ten miles a day every day that it doesn't rain. When does when does heavy snow set in for you? Is that is that imminent or? Uh, we had a half inch of snow a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not sure if that's it for the winter or not. So with um. I mean, if you look at this past year, has I mean, how would you assess the year that's been in terms of if your life and also in terms of the races? Because 
you seem to be one of the people that has, uh, to a certain extent, absolutely thrived almost despite lockdown. <laughs> Does it feel like you? I, it, it actually feels like that I've, I've totally failed at retirement. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working more than ever and all the retirement things keep being put off for the indefinite future because we had so much going on it uh, it is a year we i was at, it was at the national running show last year on the way home from that that they announced wuhan was locked down and uh i came straight home from that and that's pretty much where i've been ever since because <laughs> do you think with because it, it it almost seemed as if the the backyard became the the focal point for the ultra community as something that was because of covid something we could all do and that something people could do at home like do, do you think that that in a strange way uh, covid has has helped the the growth of of that as a phenomena well the number of events has kind of stabilized it was we did the first one in 2011 and the number of races essentially doubled every year after that until last year uh we did figure out a way to have the bigs backyard and then what we did instead of the the normal event actually is was so successful and so much so much fun that we're probably looking at doing it that way every other year going forward it, um, there, there's there's a constant adjustment when something doubles in size every year you know when we started out every, just about every event could be a golden ticket event and bring the winners to bigs then they were all over the started being all over the world so it could be one or two events in every country and, and uh, now there's there's twice as many races as there are lots and bigs. And if it returns to doubling every year, which I see no reason that won't happen, it'll, uh, we have to find new ways to qualify people. And, and having a world championship is just a lot of fun. And how, how are you deciding which races from the, the ones all around the world meet the criteria to get that golden ticket? Well, we were looking at ones that, that, you know, were the big races in that country, which is mostly going to be the ones that were first, or the one and the ones that put in a big investment. Probably what we'll go to after this year is uh, having the satellite backyard ultras in again in uh, 2022. 2021, we already had a golden ticket schedule set up. We've got a field full and then some with the people who had golden tickets in 2020 and couldn't come, as many of them as we can get in. And then the people who are winning the ones in 2021 will have, and then the people who won the national championships in the back, in the, the satellite version last year. In 2022, we'll have the national teams again, and 
it would, if we're not all still locked down, we'll probably have 45 or 50 teams and bring the winners from all that. And then the at-large berths be for other people who, who did huge mileage. And so, and with the team event, because I mean, this year, it's two things happen. Every country had a 15 man team and had their own venue. And we ended up, there was 27 or 28 countries that participated. There were like five that got locked down right at the time of the race, so they couldn't hold theirs. And we ended up with 24, 25 countries. We connected it all on the computer. We broadcast it over the Internet. And everybody ran a backyard that started at the exact same time. And then they ran concurrently until each race finished when it finished. When you got down to the last person, of course, in a backyard, when one person is the only one left, it's over. And so the races were actually competing against each other virtually, but the races themselves were were alive. Fifteen people fit most people's uh, criterion for group sizes. And did you and did you? Because that's the thing that that struck me when we came down to the the final pairs, which was America against uh, Belgium. Which I don't know if that's ever happened in any. Any com- any kind of big competition, <laughs> world competition on earth. Um, but <laughs> the what, it, what was interesting is you, you don't actually ever know who the best person is because you're looking at the pairs, and as soon as your partner drops, you've won your event, <laughs> and you can go on no more. Like, wh- was there any? Did you sense any frustration from any of the individuals who were the winners that that wanted the ability to go on? And, and do you think you're always going to keep that rule that it has to be two of you competing for the team to continue? Oh, yeah. You can't really virtually compete because the, the, the conditions are so different in each place. Uh, a, a backyard is, is built a great deal on this looking the other guy in the eye because it, they don't mm. stop because they can't go on anymore. People stop, as it turns out, when they no longer believe they can win. Mm. I mean, it's possible to just keep going on and on and on. Four miles an hour is not that hard. Well, it, they would dispute that after 60 or 70 hours. <laughs> it's really hard. It's mentally really hard. And, and did you see, because with the... With the previous backyard, everyone was in it for themselves. And as you say, it's all about getting in the minds of your competitors and trying to almost intimidate them out of starting the next lap. Whereas as soon as it was a team event, your focus was on trying to make sure that your partner would continue the next lap. And it was far more supportive. Like, Did, did, did you see a big difference in, in what that made to the event that you saw? And, and do you think that that helped people run further. It made it a hugely different event. It was it was really fun to see the team spirit and camaraderie that that built up because as a as a team you've got to keep your teammates going and and it was uh, you had Mexico was another country that did really well. It was fun to watch Belgium because they were and. Uh, this it, you know, you, you 
being the from the U.S. and having the U.S. race here, you want the U.S. to win. But it was still satisfying to see Belgium do so well, and, and to just just the thrill of it. And then, of course, as they as they said there, the moment you're down to only two, the whole nature of the event changes. You're no longer wanting that guy to keep going because if he keeps going, you have to keep going. <laughs> oh, so you think actually <laughs> it's interesting because it, I guess that comes down to there's so many conflicts there of your desire to win as a team versus your desire to win as an individual. Um, what was interesting about the Belgian team is that they almost changed the approach to each lap and, and went against what has become conventional wisdom, that you should try and aim for 48, 49-minute laps. And they decided, we're going to go quicker and rest more. I did... Did the Americans notice, did they pick up on that happening during the race, do you think? You can see it. That's one of the reasons that you really can't virtually compete because the courses are very different. The misfortune of the American team is that they're on Biggs Trail, which is out here with rocks and roots and hills. And we, we made, we've made it as easy as we can make it but there's only so much you can do when you've got rocks and roots and hills. So they, they were running about as fast a loops as you can run. At night, we can run faster because we have a road loop. The trail is impossible to do in the dark and, and make the time limits. So, but, uh, and then Belgium had, had those... Not a lot of hills in Belgium to start with, and I don't think they sought out the ones they had. They, they knew what they were doing. Do you, do you think this, this could be, then, um, there'll never be American winner? Because you've, you've jinxed it with the course. <laughs> um, it makes a challenge, but everyone had different challenges. Some people were in midwinter and it was freezing cold, and some it was burning hot. And uh, some places you just have hills and there's no getting out of it. So everybody runs with the conditions they have, and and I think it's the good ultra athlete mindset that you you don't worry about that. You just this is the way it is. And if it's if it doesn't favor the Americans, we have enough. I didn't. No one certainly on the American team had had any complaints. They were glad to run, and when they got beat, they got beat. Uh, do you, Do you think the rise of um, the backyard ultra? Do you think that's been linked to the the popularity of the of the Barclay and, it, and its people's ways? Of, of getting a piece of that from home, or do you think it's just the simplicity of? Like, is there something else that you think has caused it to to grow so quickly? It's a um, it, it, there's several things about it, but I, it is the backyard itself. A lot of people in the backyards now don't haven't ever heard of even the Barkley. It's a social event. You know, runners like to socialize. And you have it's it's like a ten minute party, ten minute party at the end of each loop where everybody's together waiting on the next start. 
And you get to run with people on the course. So you don't have to ever go out and really run fast as long as you make it back in the time limit. So people of disparate abilities get into conversations that will go on for several hours. You know, they just start uh, talking with each other and then and having a good time. So, and and in Sweden, where it's caught on, first caught on as a grassroots, as a participation event, it's big for the people who run it to get the furthest they've ever been. The races we've been at Sweden, they have a bell. And they when someone comes in and they've run further than they've ever gone, they ring a bell. And for some some people, it's two loops. They've never gone over 10K before, and they're excited with what they do. And then a lot of people, they want to get an ultra distance, and it's kind of a non-threatening, don't beat yourself to death uh, way to get to an ultra distance or just any other distance further than you've been before. Which is super nice, actually, to be firstly involving people of all abilities but actually to be to not be necessarily judging them and also showing them of of what could lay ahead if they if they really want to focus on it <laughs> and from the we by grouping all the other all the the backyards together and kind of organizing them when you when you get on that train you're on the train to the world championship whether you're no matter which car you're in you're in the same you're in the same venue and anybody yeah they could take it in their mind that i'm going to be great at this all they have to do is go further now you have sorry go ahead i'm gonna say it's fascinating to me of course the really good top runners primarily they rise to the top the really good runners at other distances are mostly good at backyards although some of the really elite runners struggle with the concept because they can't build a lead. Mm. Mentally, it's it's hard for them to, it takes away the things that they've done to win. And then you have people that you really haven't thought about that much, but they're good, solid runners. They're just tough and they're competitive and they won't give up and all of a sudden in this, instead of being in, in races where they're good, but they get run off and left and can't catch up, you, you never fall behind. And they are devilishly hard to get rid of, and they've become big names in the sport because they have the attributes. It's, it's almost like backyard is a new running sport. It's yeah, just different. And you can you can see individuals who may be able to win one of these events that would never be able to win another event. Um, I mean, have have you actually? Because we've we've spoken about that before, and and the idea that you could win it as someone who almost isn't even a runner. But have we have we actually seen that yet? If, if I mean, if we look in the, in the states, for example, the winners have been big names. You know, your Courtney DeWalters and the like. Um, they're all incredible runners and. Have we actually seen, you know, anyone get above 150 miles, 200 miles, who was, who wouldn't have expected it from them? Oh, the, yes. Uh, 
don't I'd have to have a list of names here. Jeremy uh, Jeremy Evil is one that comes to mind. Uh, we had one year the Bigs was won by a guy Babak Raskafard from Montana who had never run a sub twenty four hour hundred. To my knowledge, he still hasn't run under 24 hours for 100, except in backyard races. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, it's too easy to me. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> hope, hope springs eternal if you're, I mean, obviously, if you barely, if, if in case the furthest you've ever been, then you're probably not going to win. But you can be a 24-hour, 100-mile runner and be out there making the best runners in the world sweat. Is, did you see that there's – I can't remember what they called the race, but there's, there was a new race that had a almost an extension of your format where you had to run one mile an hour for as many hours as possible. <laughs> And they, I think they had to call it off on a, on like a technicality after 11 days. There were two females who were slogging it out. I mean, do, do you think, um, is, is that something you, you think offers the same challenge? Um, or is, do you think that goes more into the territory of being able to have time off and organizing your life as opposed to the physical challenge of it? <laughs> yeah, the, there, there's been a lot of attempts to people like to put their own variations on it. The one mile an hour thing goes back to the 1800s, and you can go a thousand miles doing that. It, it becomes a completely different kind of thing, although there's a great physical challenge to running a thousand consecutive hours. Um, yeah. So we've, that's where we standardize the backyard. We really, it, it's, none of the pieces of it are, are accidental. They're all towards achieving a desired result. One result is it has to be a race of land. <laughs> and, and with the, oh, sorry, get, get. People can't have, you can't have something that just goes on indefinitely that everybody can do. Mm. Most of your backyards, you see the, the kind of grassroots, somebody having a bunch of friends and, and literally staging the, the race in the backyard like we originally did. And those will last 14 to 24 hours. You have most of the races, it's 24 to 30, 20 to 30 hours for the winter. The big races, it'll get up in the 40s. And then the, the championship-type races, we're not sure where it'll end. We know it can go at least 75. But you and, have and to get a lot of good runners together to get that far. And, and we, we mentioned before that the, the Belgians had, had continued for, for some, some distance, actually, extra. Do you think that the – how do you think those runners would do – when they next come to to if they come to bigs and do you think um do, do you think they're they're near the limit of what's possible or do you think actually um given that they've got new terrain that you know the 300 miles and the 300 plus are in sight 
It, uh, well, we've been past 375 hours is the furthest they've been. That was on the really flat Belgian course. Um, but Biggs has been to 68 twice. And if we'd had more people each, each time, you don't know. The only person in a backyard that doesn't find out where their limit is is the winner. Mm. They're, they're, they're the only loser. Everyone else knows this is how far I can go. So we are getting most of the winners from those. Uh, the satellite championships will be here. And we'll find out how far they that the best of the best can get. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think there, there's an excellent chance they'll get past 75. Matter of fact, looking at the field, almost no one there hasn't done at least so it's going to be, it's going to be insane. <laughs> now, the the Vols State this year became virtual, and it might be because I, of the bubble we're in, but it, it, it seemed it, as if it was huge. <laughs> it didn't. We actually had a Vols State. We had to half we halved everything. We had the buses half full where the, the people have stayed in double occupancy rooms before the race. We had single occupancy. The race itself, of course, you're out on the road. The only thing they have to worry about is when they stop and go in the store to get something. Pulled off the ball state. We had, though, a virtual race across Tennessee. And the actual discussion before we started was if we should we do this because we, we expected about 200 runners and if we got less than 200 runners we and, and lost money and we would also not be eligible for the self-employed unemployment. And we said, well, we'd rather do something than nothing. Steve Durbin worked on it with me and then ultimately Mike Dobies and and Naresh Kumar. And we got, uh, we, we didn't get 200 entries we expected. We got 20,000. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 20,000. Which is, you're Our, looking at, a, that's a big city marathon size. I mean, that's, that's half of a London marathon. It was 20,000 people from in 78 countries. And we were, our our software system we had set up to handle it obviously would handle nothing like that. That's where we got uh, Daresh Kumar is actually a resident or lives in New Zealand, and he had been he was home to visit in India, locked down, and he contacted us early in the race. He saw on the internet it was going on, and he said, "You know, I'm." I'm locked in in India. Do you, do you need any help? And oh, hell yeah, we needed help. It was, <laughs> it was a case of you always have what you need if you, if you, if you, for whatever reason, if you were looking for it. And him and Mike, starting like two or three days before the race actually began, he said, okay, we have to get something set up where we can collect people's mileage. 
and then the rest of it we'll put together on the fly. We we put together the system with the race going on. <laughs> it was all the people in data processing type work or IT were really impressed with what the managed to put together and not losing the first first part was just don't lose any data and then we would get the presentation up and running and we they, they had all kinds of stuff going with it the maps and, and your your little instead of people going across the original one you just had pins like we have in the vol state but when you have thousands of people in a single mile you can't put pins so they had little bubbles with groups showing how far the how many people were at each mile going across and it was it was uh, really fun got competitive we had competition between names all the jessicas competed because there's like 140 <laughs> jessicas <laughs> and they were called i'm the number four jessica <laughs> and, and did you did you get a sense did you get a sense of because it's such a large number of people did you get a sense of what the commonality between them was or, or what the typical runner was because were these people that were just the extended next friends of people involved in the the backyards or did, did this take on a life of its own it took on a life of its own there were so many people who had never run anything and we had uh, yeah we had hundreds of people in their 70s and ladies in their 70s the ladies in their 70s kicked butt they got mm -hmm. out of the box so many miles and you had so many people who had never run you know you had to average a little like five and a half miles a day for four months to make the distance across the state and there were a lot of people who had never done five miles a day or never done five miles at all, but they walked every day. They, you know, everyone's locked down, everything's set up. So they're needing, needing something to do. And I, we had a Facebook group that had most of the people in it. They just went constantly 24 hours a day. And I, I told them all early on, I, I did a little coaching on there, especially for the people who hadn't done something. And I, and I showed them, you don't have to start out averaging five miles a day. If you can do three miles a day, do three miles a day. You, you'll fall behind the curve, but you can make it up later. And then I pulled off records from a training segment I'd done that just happened to have come out to a thousand kilometers in just less than four months. And I had not actually met the five and a half mile a day average until the final month to make it up at the end. And How so long was that last was, run, though? Was was that like 200 miles in one go? <laughs> Is that why where the Barkley was born? <laughs> no, it actually was quite reasonable. It was part of my uh, transcon training plan where I would start at zero and, and work up. You work on getting yourself physically geared to the day after day grind then you you put the mileage part on more later as you go and it, it just it just conveniently fit but it was a lot of fun watching people 
we had a buzzard that went across exactly on pace. So you would start out behind the buzzard and we would tell them at this point, you can be 150 miles behind the buzzard and you're fine. And then they gradually whittled away that the margin between them and the buzzard to catch them before it was over. And it was, there was a huge rush with thousands of people finishing over the last, every day for the last few days. What, what percentage of people finish then? Because it, it's, it's, it's an achievable goal, but it's the fact you've got to be so consistent for so long. You do. We had out of, out of the 20,000 people around 15,000 finished. And then the computer guys kept it up going at overtime. And so people who had gotten injured or just couldn't make it finished over the next few months. Just because they wanted to finish it. And do you, do you think the, do you think that's what captured people's imagination? The fact that it was, because we previously in life, most races, you're drawn to this one big, look at me, look what I've achieved. Whereas actually, this was very different. This is, this is not about, um, it's not about time. It's not about um, really talking to the pub and being like, how incredible is this one feat? It's about that drip, drip, drip of health. Do, do, do you think that's, it's, what do you think it is was, the reason why it, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it's because it was, it was a long-term goal. And I was I was amazed, especially among people who run, a few miles that most people actually get in. And this was because you could also not only do one time across, you could do it across and back. It was the rat run across Tennessee, the bat back across Tennessee, the cat continue across Tennessee. The person that did the most did seven or eight crossings, I think. Wow. But so many of these runners, even as it was getting on into two or three months into the event, they would write in and they'd say, you know, I, I broke my PR for a half marathon distance in a race in training <laughs> because <laughs> people have lost their driving base. And then over these last few months after it was over, so many people have gotten out and run in real events just smash their records and a, a guy who said you know the Boston Qualifier Marathon was something he always dreamed of but it seemed unattainable and he was getting a, getting on in the years of his running career and, and he felt like it was gone at the end of the summer he did his little marathon the, the six week marathon training plan on top of all that base work and he could do it that <laughs> I changed my plan forever I'm going to run an ungodly distance for three months and then do the six week <laughs> training plan and yeah that's what really if, if you want to get your best that's kind of what you need to do yeah yeah um and I mean, it's a good thing you don't live in Alaska. Sorry, don't live somewhere like Hawaii, isn't it? So it's not fifteen hundred miles across. But uh, do you think you're going to be be doing something similar next year? Like continue on with the virtual, and, and are you going to stick to those distances? There are so many people who want to do the run across Tennessee again. 
uh, the Facebook group was really an integral part of it. It was over where they ran. Everyone's locked down, and they're just stuck running the same old places at home. But your same old places at home is somebody else's exotic location. So these pictures of where people were running were like a, uh, a fantasy catalog of places you'd like to go. And people got, uh, they got connected on, it was, it was like a community on there. And everything that happens, I think you, it's, it's a small city. 20,000 people is a small city. And all the things that happen in a small city happen. People, people got married. People got divorced. People had kids. People got pregnant. People died. People had people they knew that died. Uh, and you, they, they got connected on there and, and it was, with people all over the world, you had every conceivable race and nationality, and everybody was just—they were all runners. Mm. They were all part of the same community. It was—it was kind. It was what social media actually does have the potential to be. You, you hear a little good about it, and you see a little good in it, but and I- it, it can. It can potentially be a positive. And actually, what I like about the race is a lot of virtual races have been ways of replicating normal races, where actually this is something different, where it's, as you say, it's a long-term goal for people. And even when we return to normal, um, normal racing schedules, there's still not going to be the equivalent of a virtual run across Tennessee because people aren't going to be doing four miles a day across Tennessee. And so, you know, I I can see this becoming actually something that's really nice for a lot of people who aren't in the running community to to do and to to have as their their long-term goals. We're going to have a reunion next year. Surely we won't have 20,000 people, but there's so many people that aren't runner, aren't really runners and never will be. Um, and then so many people found the benefits of going out and doing it every day that, that have continued on with that same process, going out every day and doing their miles. To me, it's, it's second nature. It's 55 years of this. I go out every day. What mm. they do. And uh, we talked about, you know, do you run or are you a runner? And if you run, you think, you know, will I run today? And if you're a runner, you say, when will I run today? Interesting. (laughs) I've never heard that definition before. That's really good. Now, um, this it's, year it's been my life. You get up there and you have to, you know, when you go to bed, probably what your plan is for getting in your miles tomorrow because you have to fit it around life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, less so much now, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> not so much now. <laughs> now there's nothing else. <laughs> now, um, we've had a few. We've had a few like incidents, should we call them, this last year. Uh, 
One of them is, I guess, the back off the back of Barclay. We you, you've had a lot of people who love it so much that they want to get involved or they want to almost celebrate it. And uh, for example, there was uh, one company that decided to to create and launch a geezer hat in homage to the hat yeah. that, you know, that, you've, that you wear, that you've been seen. Like how, what did you make of that? And also have you, have, have there been some annoyances from the, on, off the back of the popularity of, of Biggs and, and the Barclay? Have, have you called in the lawyers? <laughs> <laughs> You laugh, but it's it's really true. That's uh, the 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 backyard grew like they did from people contacting the first one. It was just here's a way that we can have a, a good fun altar with limited resources and limited space. We did it with our family budget in the backyard uh, when people. Started asking to uh, you know well they wanted to hold the same the same format and and that was great. You have issues that come up with things that where the people want to steal what you're doing and use the same name. When we did the virtual race across Tennessee, someone posted an event called "We Had the Great Virtual Race Across Tennessee." They put the great virtual run across Tennessee and they're posting on their registration site it was identical. No. <laughs> it was like to fool people into thinking that they were entering one race when they were entering another. Um, do, you know, do you know who that was? No. Thank God I don't. <laughs> I was saying, the geezer is the geezer like <laughs> No, I'll find out, Laz. I'll be able to find out for you, and I'll set the Russians on that. <laughs> the geezer hat. I think. I don't know what quite what to make of that. I think uh, Sandra gets more agitated about it than, than than I do because it doesn't do you any good to get frustrated. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't like to see people try to copy and steal what you're doing. And imitate that it's the same. The uh, the year after the backyard, the first backyard, there were two or three more races in the in the beginning of this and catching on everywhere. And there was one race, and I see I see this social media advertisement kind of thing. Someone sends it to me, and guy says, "I've invented a new race." And then he goes on and has all the explanation of the, the backyard ultra. But I'm reading the copy and, it, and it's it's the copy I wrote when I did the first one. <laughs> <laughs> after, after the first line where he says, I invented a new race, everything else is a complete copy. And that was kind of, you know, you recognize your own writing. You really, First, I thought, well, you know, different people invented the phonograph at the same time. Lots of things come up, so maybe it was just time, and this guy's come up with the exact same idea. But when I read the copy, it was like, no, this is outright theft. 
you're like this guy can write as well he's great <laughs> oh wait a minute <laughs> he's got he's got unusual spelling mistakes there and yeah, I, was, I was not impressed with his writing so you end up you have to copyright or let it trademark your race names keep people from taking the race name away then telling you that you can't call your race that because it because it, uh, it i can understand the the desire for people to do that in with products and business where there's millions of pounds potentially on the line and you know what's the difference between a coke and a pepsi but it it just strikes me as incredibly strange given that the the real beauty of your races is is the fact that the your races you're involved and the community of people that that then involves as well and without that let's I, like the Barkley without Laz is just a weird race for people that would want to uh, hurt themselves. Ah, uh, no, the Bark the Barkley will stand on its own. Uh, we got Carl, my my heir to the Barkley, Carl Laniac, will be. There's a lot more involved this year and and going forward. Uh, especially starting with the book set out, the the book set out. Used to be me and Rod. I would go out and we would do the low books on one day and the high books on another day, and and come up with unique hikes to hit all the different points where the books went. And it was a weekend, and then we got to have to take a weekend and an extra day to get some of the hard ones. It got down to where uh, some of the books. It's a whole day trip for us to put them in, and it was. Pressing the point, we couldn't get them out. <laughs> couldn't get them out and get back the same day. So youth has to eventually take over. And and l- last time we interviewed you, you we did ask you about what your thoughts were to the future, and you had alluded that there was someone who you had in mind. But um, so is is Carl now? Is is this kind of becoming a bit formalized where he's getting more involved in all the elements and is, you know, have you had ha, sat down and had a conversation of what about it? Ha, you know, yeah, 20 we, years time. We've talked about it and, uh, and he's, he's a perfect person. He's been into the fourth loop. He hasn't finished. He has ambitions to do it before and he needs to do it before he is in charge on the race weekend because cannot have divided attention and succeeded the Barkley. It has to be a total focus. But yeah, you, 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 the, the races have to move on because uh, I am not lasting forever. And have you, have you laid out almost in cement, laid out in stone, the specific rules that you never want changed or, <laughs> Like the process is so subjective. Are there certain things that you've had to almost spell out, or are you fairly open to to it having its own unique style in the future? It will, it will be what it will be. All things change in different ways. The Barkley has changed a lot. It's had to adjust to not being, you know, for. For the first 20 or 25 years, it was basically a secret event. And then the circumstances necessitated that we couldn't be a secret event anymore. And 
then you have to have had to deal with too much love for the Barkley and figure out ways to not just have it swamped with love. The basic, the basic premise, the basic philosophy that that people get out there and they they give up all their electronics, they give up all their connections with the world, and they go out there and they're totally on their own against the wilderness. As long as you can maintain that, you have to do what you have to do. When we started, the state of the art for like light, nighttime lighting was the carbide lamp. (laughs) (laughs) Are you even familiar with the carbide headlamp? It's what miners used, isn't it? Back in the pits. Yeah. Yeah. It's like (laughs) the old miner elements. Uh, because the regular flashlights with the bulbs, the batteries were so heavy and their lifespan was so short and the, the weather and climate conditions were so severe, you couldn't rely on them. But a carbide lamp like you used in the mines, that worked. Now you have so much equipment. When the early days GPSs came out, people would ask if they could use them and we'd always tell them, sure. Because they were about the size of a laptop, they were utterly useless because when you get out and got out in the mountains, they couldn't pick up the satellites. And people would come back and say, I lugged this 10-pound GPS device around for 14 hours and it was useless. Why did you let me take it? Because it was useless. The first time people used the GPS and they could actually use it to find their way, we outlawed them. And, and, do you, and do you think in the future, because you, you mentioned about how it's almost too loved. Do, do you have you noticed the documentaries a few years ago? You've had a few years since. Is that that love simmering back down again? Or do you think now that the genie's out of the bottle, it's always going to be <laughs> just massively oversubscribed? And, 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 and because of that, people desperate to do it. The um, it's, it's massively the, the number of requests. The thing I feel worst about is I can't respond. You didn't get in because there's just simply too many. Mm. But the number of serious applications really hasn't changed because the people who are are capable of. of have the background necessary to attempt something like that they've known about it for a long long time so that that part stays the same what we've had to institute is greater control over the the location we'll be we'll be closing off the campgrounds and the gate will be the gate will be shut and people have to have credentials to be in there that show that they belong so that you don't just get swamped with people that everyone thinks they're with somebody hmm. <laughs> and they're, and I, they're just I, in the way. And are you finding that there are more and more people who are almost turning up unannounced at different times of the year to attempt their own version? We set up a Barkley challenge loop that utilizes trails that are open part of the park. 
keep times on it. It gives people something they can run. It goes on a lot of the same trails, but it doesn't go on the parts that would have a negative impact on the natural area. It's, it's wilderness is really a trick. You need wilderness areas, but by definition, the wilderness area is not developing into not have a negative impact you can use. So the Barkley is sort of a way of this particular wilderness area that a, a limited number of people get to enjoy it, which is better than no one. And uh, yeah, but the, I, I, the Barkley challenge that gives you all of the flavor and you can run your times and you can put them on a an AFKT type list with other people's runs and see how you did. And you can do it clockwise and counterclockwise. And sales having that extra usage is good maintenance for the trails. Yeah, and, and hopefully that will actually give people that bite of the pie as such. So they get they get their sense that they've they understand what it is and that they've managed to take part in some way. But hopefully that will actually make it a bit more manageable. For the, the true applications in the future. Now, um, and we have the, the Barkley Fall Classic in the and we have the Barkley Fall Classic in the fall, which is it's on a combination of maintained trails, and it has some off trail are representative of what the real Barkley is, and, but they're done on some areas that on on places that are already heavily impacted, so that. The, the human usage doesn't make a difference. And it gives people a really good flavor and it's it's gives we can put five hundred people a year on that course. And that gives a lot more people a taste of the Barkley and it has actually helped reduce the load of people who apply every year considerably because that they come and do the Barkley Fall Classic and they get done and they say that was the worst nightmare of my life was that the equal of a Barkley Loop and, and you have to tell them no it wasn't even close they, then you won't be getting a letter from me when <laughs> the entry <laughs> opens <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, one one thing that was a few people have, have brought up in the questions is to do with the, I think, the team names for the race across Tennessee, where um, one of the teams wanted to name themselves a Black Lives Matter name. And that was something that you'd you'd ask them not you you, well, you, you said they couldn't. So what what is your view on the the controversy that that's caused and people wanting to use race names or to use running as a way to highlight their uh, I guess their political struggles um, it, we, it comes down to the use of the name of a political group we don't we also we, what we didn't allow was the proud boys or the American Nazi Party, or MAGA, or you know any any political group. It's just it's not a political thing. 
they said it was it was well it's 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 not political it's human rights to find have a team human rights <laughs> that that's that's not a problem no one has a problem with human rights but political parties are by nature divisive they set one group against another and there, there is a lot of controversy over that name when the, the root cause, I don't know anyone that really is against human rights. So it just, they, I think that someone, they came up and said, well, they could name it after the, after the, 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 Floyd and Arbery and different individual names. Not a problem. Can't have a political group. If I let, I, why then can I not let the American Nazi Party or the so Proud Boys? So is it, so basically, is it the definition that Black Lives Matter is seen as a political group, whereas if they had used a different phrase for example to to express their views like um well that that would have been acceptable certainly it it was (laughs) i suggest we accepted it they withdrew anyway because what they wanted was to promote a particular political group or maybe they just wanted to (laughs) be removed i don't know they removed themselves. Well, I, I think the difficulty is actually with the Black Lives Movement is that for the vast majority of people involved, it, it, it comes to mean the fact that we're trying to change society um, where there is inherent racism and, and systematic racism. But then also Black Lives Matter does have a website with political views that are outside of that message and would therefore give it that yeah the root cause of of opposing systemic racism and and the inequality that exists and the the issues that need to be addressed in 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 the u.s and i'm sure also other places in the world but i'm i'm familiar with it here i'm i'm behind that when you had something that has such a such a wide exposure, you have a lot of take up their cause, and I you end up having to constantly take down posts for for charities that you support and causes you believe in. And, and you hate it, but other, otherwise it just becomes overwhelmed. That's one of the one of the things about social media. You have something that large, it uh, it would just be engulfed. Did it? So, did it surprise uh, you? You know, I'm. <laughs> The controversy is there's not really any controversy. There's not really an issue unless you believe that at the same time, not only against human rights, I'm in support of global warming. I'm, 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 uh, want to see the species wiped out. I want to have foul air. I want to, 
He, it's not like that there was only one cause. Took down lots and lots of different causes. And even I mean, the, one, the one that mystified me was the one that thought the, the race should stand against the child prison in Matamora. You know, not even looking that up to see what it was about. There were, there were causes I've never heard of. But we had a cause. We had a cause. We raised money to for the food bank to feed people that, that needed food because of the pandemic. And uh, we were very successful at that. We raised a quarter of a million dollars for the food banks, which is substantial. They told us that that would pay for a million meals. And I think if you had if you had an event, you have charity. What is what is one of the events that you have there in England where they raise money for a cause? Can other causes go to it and say, "No, you're we want." You to do our cause instead. If you have a, they, they have the, the thing at our school, every, every school has it here where they have a cancer night and they play a game and the teams wear pink uniforms or pink socks and all the people wear pink shirts. It's their cancer, their cancer cause night and they raise money for cancer research. Could someone go in with their global warming cause and say, no, scrap cancer. Take my cause. I guess, I guess the, the, the big difference would be, though, that within running, we take on challenges. And a lot of the time, it's part of the culture that we'll, we'll take on. So, for example, London Math and a huge number of people will be raising money to a personal charity within that. Uh, or people will be wanting to dedicate their efforts to help motivate them to a, to a cause that's close to themselves. And um, wouldn't it be easier just to allow anyone who wants to do that to do that? Why would we not allow anyone that wanted to do that do that? Lots of people ran in that race that did actually raise, raise money for, for a charity. And they put it on their website, <laughs> you know, their personal website. They, they did it themselves. I have no opposition. I mean, why would I? But we couldn't have, we took down hundreds of GoFundMes for worthy causes. Because that would be all you had on the page or in the, in the group. Now, um, there were GoFundMe's for stuff that I really believe in. There were GoFundMe's to raise money for for uh, disease research for diseases that have had personally affected me. That you know <laughs> that I strongly am in support of. But there's too much. As your as your profile's been raised, Lance, do you do you ever feel the the pressure of um, people's expectation upon you in terms of 
what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to say, or, you know, of what, of, of what people expect of you? Do you think this, has it felt any <laughs> different at all um, in terms of what, uh, I, I, you know, I, what messages you get, what people say to you, or, or you know, all the way that people respond to you now? It's, I'm glad that all this happened after I got old because <laughs> I, I have enough experience to realize it's just, it's some bizarre set of circumstances because I'm really still just an old hillbilly who lives in this, this weird, the weird guy down around, you know, down the road that walks every day or runs every day. And I'm, for my kids, I'm their strange dad. <laughs> uh, the, so all of it is, it's, you get a lot of praise, but there's an old saying that praise is like perfume. A little bit smells good, but if you swallow any, you'll get sick. <laughs> and uh, the, sometimes I, I have my questions about it because you draw the attention of people that are a little bit unstable. <laughs> when, you, when you get... Uh, Emails from someone that's, that's getting secret messages in your writing, you feel like, whoa. <laughs> I, just, we, we, I just wanted to oh. add, I just wanted to add something, just in relation to the to, to the Black Lives Matter thing. I mean, just just aside from that, um, what do you what do you think can be done? Because I, we've we've been talking about this actually since since like the Black Lives Matter uh, movement on the on the podcast as to how to get. Uh, or how to encourage more people of color into into the ultra community, um, and how to how to how to create an environment whereby because I think I think a lot of people might have looked at that 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 BLM incident and seen that as you know obviously things you know conversations trying to be shut down. But how have you had conversations around this, or how, you know have you been party to any discussions around this as as to how to get more people? people of color in, in doing more ultras, more um, involved in, uh, in events, you know, anything around that? Well, it's always, it's always actually been strange as it might sound, kind of a point of pride with me that I look and, and feel like my races get more minority runners than, than you see as the average across the, across the board. As far as, as having uh, more minorities and ultras in, in general, I, I think you have to uh, you have to address the root source of the problem. You have not that many day laborers run ultras. You have not that many not that many truck drivers. You have some, but you, you don't have many. It's the it's the inequities of science. Society at large. That if you going through going through my life, and I, I go way back. I I remember as a kid when when here in the South, seeing three restrooms, men, women, and colored, and and seeing the you know if you, if you were around long enough to have been there when when the, the just ugly raw racism was open openly displayed it left an indelible impression 
and then going along through life, I think you see more. That's that's no longer acceptable. That that kind of stuff. You don't sit there and, and hear people spout out racist jokes and, and things like that. You don't you, you don't have the overt stuff, but there's subtle things. The systemic racism they talk about. It's maybe in hiring. It's not so much the policy. No one has a policy that's racist, but their practices just by their very nature, they they sort out and make it more difficult. Those things need to be addressed with that there is more of an equality of opportunity. I think if you saw an economic equality and a, a social equality, that that would, that would filter through to the ultras. It's uh, it's it's a complex subject because I think about it. They, people say, "Well, you need to do more to to, or that we need to do more to encourage the the BIPOC runners, as it were, to to run ultras." And I think, what exactly is it that that you are supposed to do? Yeah, and, and it seems a lot more important to. To address the societal issues, yeah, and that's a they are they're certainly linked. Um, well, they're one certainly helps with the other, but that's a question, as Jody said, we've been asking ourselves, and and whether it's on websites including more black runners or um, you know trying to actively encourage participation and, and a more selection of things along those lines. It it is it is a hard one. Um, now we've got quite a few. Well, we had, you know, we look at those kind. Of, those are the kind of things that you can do. The uh, we had the because that the great virtual run was so big. There was going to be lots of of associate merchandise, and we set up a merchandise store where all of the pros, all of the the profits from that, excuse me, would go to worthy causes. But when we looked at the ads and they had the shirts, you look and every every model is white. And you ask them, you say, well, do you, you know, we, we want a portion of, we want a portion of the, of the models to be people of peace. They, well, they didn't have any, any models like that, but they went out and found one and added it to the website. You know, does that make any tangible difference? I thought that's something you can do. Yeah. And, and you're right. I, I think small things like that can actually make quite a big difference to people's impression of the community and so it, it may seem small and it, it's hard to track what the knock-on effects will be but at, at least if we you know if we, as a community we try and and make those changes um changing perception is a, is a big part of the challenge Well, yeah, you have to keep your, you have to always be alert to the opportunity to do small things, but it's only small things you can do. Now, we've got quite a few questions from from listeners. Um, 
that we we're going to put to you we've filtered out quite a few of them because we've covered a lot in the previous episodes we've recorded um but one of them from richard reynolds is about given that there's so much more money coming into ultra running now do you think that kind of ultra running can stay as pure and and do you think it will lose its integrity under the force of these brands that are are trying to shape things towards their sales i didn't know ultra running (laughs) 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 where is it where is it (laughs) i want my share i wouldn't have associated myself if i with it if i'd known integrity was part of the part of the deal and do you it, it, it's probably better, going to be better than it than it has been in the past. You had the the visual public eye on ultra running for most of history was the the stunt runners. A lot of whom were just outright frauds that said, you know, I I did that. I set this world record. I did this. I did that. Mm. It's it's a it's akin to. You know, no one can come out and say I was quarter. I was the winning quarterback in the Super Bowl, unless they actually were the winning quarterback in the Super Bowl. But people mm. could make claims about running that were just wild and false and untrue, and not much that you could do about it. They they were better at getting attention from the media than the people who actually did the sport. So the more widespread it, it is, I think the more difficult it is to perpetuate that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, that's the, And the top runners will always be, they're just people. They uh, primarily they're nice because most people are nice. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're really motivated by money. Sometimes they're hungry for attention. Sometimes they're modest and self-effacing and, and uh, really and interested get, in other people. They're just people. And do you get the sense, because now that with Instagram mainly, people are being directly rewarded more for influence, more for status. And have you got a sense with the people who are drawn to your races or either people drawn to ultra running that the motivations are changing from the desire to test oneself and to, to push yourself as far as you can go more towards doing things that increase your status? <laughs> I, I think that's always been a part of it, and and I and I don't think that'll change. And it may be that people who get into it because they want to to brag that they did it actually discover something more when they're out there. So maybe it'll have an overall positive effect. Yeah, true. Actually, they might just fall in love with it along the way. Um, <laughs> now, there's a question from Peter Mount of whether there are any. So, not from Peter Mount, wrong person. Question, question from Richard Gerd: Whether there's an athlete out there who's yet to run a backyard who you think has the p- potential to be the best out there? <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. There, there's only been. 
you know, what can think. Or is there, we were looking at the last is there anyone that you know of? It would be maybe 10,000 people. So there's 7 billion. There's, or the, is there anyone no, that I you... Really, that you have in mind that you'd love to actually come and race one? You just can't really predict who, how it's going to, like I say, there was, I've seen some really, really good runners that you would expect would be very good at it. And mentally they just can't cope with it. There, there's, there's a lot of things about it. the open-ended aspect is hard. If you, of course, y'all are ultra runners. You know, there comes a point in the ultra when what keeps you going is knowing how much further you have to go. And how would you like to reach that point and know it could be one more hour or it could be two more days? And, yeah, very true. <laughs> and, and, and linking in that with personal challenge, you've got a question with, from Christina Loveridge about whether you've got any personal challenges left in your pipeline and, and if, uh, you know, if COVID's going to affect them. <laughs> COVID's already affecting them. I wanted to do another transcon this year. <clears throat> I have laid out a spectacular course full of history and unique ge geography and geology and, and great, fascinating stuff. It would start in April, and then I have an alternative transcon that would start in May, and they're both kind of dependent on things getting under control enough that, I can, that I'm able to go and attempt it. And then, then I have the added concern is have enough motels and, and restaurants and stuff survive the pandemic, especially motels that I'll be able to have accommodations going across. It used to be fine just to crawl in and sleep behind the wall in a cemetery, but around 60 sleeping on the ground stops being fun. <laughs> and would you try and beat your previous time from a few years ago or? No, I, I wanted to go across once as hard as I could to see if I could do it, and it was a it was a tremendous experience, and it was really rewarding to find out just how deep I could go. But it took a whole year to recover physically and mentally, and, and you know, I want to do this one in a a more reasonable pace, maybe like 20 or 24 miles a day. I actually have time to see a little bit more as I go. Mm. Now, um, another question from the Trail Crafter is, what's your top tip to newbie event organizers? <laughs> um, actually, there's two things. One is put on the race you would want to run. And and then if you if you have shared the idea of what's fun with other people, then you'll have the people. The second one is you have to have a good time yourself. It's it's your job to have a good time. Anything bad that happens, you absorb it on one side and on the other side you maintain. Because if you're not having fun, no one's gonna have fun. Mm, yeah, very true. Um, 
And then final question from my side is, what's the, the worst slash best present you've ever received from someone who's clearly just trying to suck up to you to try and get on the Barclay? <laughs> oh, that's hard. You know what? There was something the other day I was thinking of. But it's just it's just hard to pin it down. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it might have worked, and you're probably now friends with them, and so you don't want to ditch them in it. <laughs> no, it never works because I can never, I can never remember the Barclay is Barclay is just too hard to sort out. There's so many people that do, that deserve. And you can just only take a few because that's all that will absorb. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Um, well, Laz, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. And good luck. You, you mentioned while we were off air the fact that you're still looking into the possibility of, of putting on the Barclay for this year. Um, well, good luck with that. It's something we'd love to see um, while we're stuck in our houses in London. But, um <laughs> Any other questions, JD? No, no. I think I think we've covered everything. What I, what I like about putting on the Barclays is that if you have to, if you have to um, uh, change the criteria that uh, only only people who've been vaccinated can run it, um, you may end up with a, with a lot of lot of octogenarians and septuagenarians in, in probably what might be <laughs> what might be the greatest race ever, the final race. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't really see any other way you can go, really, given the uh, the likelihood of that there will be some restrictions or even the other strange pop up. Um, well, Laz, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. And we'll, we'll, we'll see you next in January, I believe, um, hopefully next year at the running show. But 
good luck with everything in the meantime. And as ever, if there's anything we can do to help, um, then let us know. All right. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I look forward to getting to go back to the running show or anywhere for that matter. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, cheers, Laz. And, uh, as, you know, as I said, do let us know if, uh, if we can help in, with any of the, the future plans. All right, I will do it. Y'all All have the a best. good one. You too. Bye. Bye. Ah. Oh. Oh, it's man, always it's just, good to have lads on, isn't it? It's so good, but it's just so frustrating. And I I don't know if there's a listener, if you picked up on this. We've, we do have the odd interview from time to time. And actually, it's not always just because of the distance to America where we get a slight lag in the connection and that that completely stunts your ability to have a conversation and because you 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 say something and they're already halfway through the next sentence that you've not heard yet they then stop you then stop you then go I'll go on and then and it, <laughs> it, it just means that you never have the opportunity to really connect and um, normally with Laz, that's not a problem because Laz is such a great storyteller and everything he says is golden. But Laz has obviously been in a bit of controversy recently. And, you know, we know Laz and we know that he is just a wonderful person who has the best intentions and is, is truly uh, multicultural and involving of, of all communities. And so we wanted to really give him a chance to explain the situation and if we haven't done that well, because we didn't have the opportunity to, to question right or to, you know, interject <laughs> at the right times, then apologies. That really wasn't um, that wasn't what we'd hope, how we hoped it to go. But unfortunately, you know, connections are connections. No, it's but a, still, it's only, it's, it's only happened a few times. But I think we still I, we still got quite quite a bit out of that. Um, it is frustrating because we. I mean, to be fair, we talk over each other all the time, regardless of how far we are. Yeah, and, you know, you, you don't get Laz on, the, on the, the podcast that often. So when you do have him, you're, we're obviously excited and we, uh, we want to make the most of our time. <laughs> to, to be fair, when we've got Laz on, like the fact that he's even operating the system we've asked him to do is pretty impressive in itself. If it, to, to then start asking him to sort of play with the technicalities of it, like if we've got, if we've got sound and we've got a picture, I mean, we, this one, this one was vastly improved in the fact that we could actually see Laz's face as opposed to just his forehead in the previous, <laughs> the previous interview we did. So he's but, getting better each time. And actually it's interesting you say that because Laz, Laz isn't a big fan of, of using technology and uh, we've changed from Skype to blue jeans and all that. But that's the irony in that he's not a big fan of tech. And yet he's put on, from what I can tell, the best virtual race on earth to date. <laughs> the, biggest, the biggest, the biggest, the best, the most, the most complex. Yeah, just everything about it. He's, he's, it's just incredible that he's managed to... I guess rebrand and relaunch, and he's got such a good network of a community behind him. So, well, so I think he, he has a, like a larger version of, of what we got. So, we, you know, everyone jokes about like this being a cult and everything, but people, there's a lot of people who absolutely love bad boy running and will do stuff willingly, do stuff for free because they love the community and love being part of it. 
And Laz has that as well. For someone, you know, to to willingly say, look, I can help you do this. Everyone wants him to succeed because they know what he's mm. doing is incredible. And he just gets that. He has that kind of, I, I would say he has that kind of like cultish following around him. I mean, that was that was obvious when we did the the running show that there was like a yeah. cult of a cult of lads. And so, it, because it just inspires that in, in people. And I think, you know, it's, that's when it, that's when it is challenging when you are, when you are limited in being able to have a proper conversation with them because of, because mm. of technology. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> what, I, what I love about that is that it, Lance runs like two races, one Barclays, which is the most exclusive, you know, small race that you could ever <laughs> find and possibly the largest virtual race in history. Like the two things, the, how he how he philosophically marries those two things up must, uh, it must yeah. be incredible. But I, I can see this being a race that continues to grow because... We've always been very sceptical of virtual races, mainly prior to lockdown, because they just seemed as money grabbers, as ways to sell medals to people um, for doing something that they're probably going to do anyway. But what the, the, the difference with this is that all of the previous virtual races prior to lockdown were replica, replications of races that you do in the real world. So it would be run a virtual marathon, run a virtual 10K, run a virtual 5K. So actually it, it doesn't really do anything for you to have that virtual race. It doesn't create a community. It doesn't really inspire you that much necessarily. Whereas because it's, this is different to the race across Tennessee because it's, it allows people at home to get the opportunity to try something bigger than they'd have ever done. And the fact that, you know, th these are chunky races. I've never thought, you know, what if you're someone who doesn't want to go to Tennessee or can't go to Tennessee? Or <laughs> and it's, it's so arbitrary. Like, no one would ever come, come, you know, come up with, do you know when we're going to run? Across Tennessee. Like, it's like, you know. You, Unsupported you by myself for 30 days. <laughs> no one ever comes yeah. up. I, that's a, it's a weird one to get sponsorship for as well. Oh, what are you doing? I'm virtually running across Tennessee. Like, <laughs> What? <laughs> But I love I love the fact that it's it's something that is a really nice um, like a substantial goal for a lot of people in different ways and you know the the fact they've got the double and I I can see that continuing once lockdown lockdown finishes because the reality of our lives as runners is we we build up to one or two big races but those big races tend to be on a day or a really significant multi day that. It's the mileage on that day or the time on that day or the experience on that day that we spend weeks and weeks training towards. Whereas with this race across Tennessee, I, I love the idea of someone who doesn't have the ability to necessarily um, take part in all, all these other races or just wants to actually have something to focus on day to day other than training for a race and can then chart their progress progress in this community to something that is substantial um and so i could see this getting bigger next year two things firstly have you done a virtual race before because I've, I've never done one no i've been injured since the beginning of lockdown so i've not really had to i've done a race that I, i've done a lot of events that you 
they're more like treasure hunts. Yeah. Where you have to do a scavenger hunt or you have to solve clues. I've done quite a few of those. I mean, I, quite a lot. I mean, a lot of those. But I've never done a timed race that is just straight running, straight cycling virtually. No, because I've never. Oh, done what, Nike Grid? Would that count? What's Nike Grid? I've mentioned it years ago where you had to run between telephone boxes, dial in, dial out. I guess that was a physical. <laughs> I totally, totally didn't get the right name for that. That should have been called The Matrix. That would have been a much better name for that. The Matrix, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, they did all right out of it. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not, they're not <laughs> looking they their wins too much. They do all right out of everything. Okay, so that's a, so I actually, I think I might give a, a virtual race a bash just to see what it's like because I've never, I've never done one and mainly because you know, we've been so negative about them. But actually... I like that there were there were lots more coming on that I've seen sort of coming on stream, which are much more interesting than the kind of stuff that that people were doing before. Um, but how how about this? How about because last week, if my timing's right, um, we were we were talking um, disparagingly about the number of virtual races that are out there that are to running for mental health that seem to yeah. to, to have no actual grounding in helping people it was just flapping that it was a hook it was a, they were using it as a kind of cynical hook to get yeah publicity to either grow their following or to make money so how about this why don't you look at the one that we one that we're skeptical about and try and be mr keen so if there's a facebook group you're in that group you're 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 posting every day about your training you're there, like putting really crappy jokes in to see if anyone and try, like, put yourself in the position of someone who's got a lot of time, who is looking for a community and just see, see what happens, because I think that'd be a really good experiment. Right. OK. OK. So we basically we find one of the ones that we we have in mind when we're thinking about this. <laughs> Sign up to it and see. Yeah. And see what happens. See and whenever it's. You almost yet yeah, um, you you almost supersize me or yes man. Whenever they say why don't you, you do it. So why don't you follow us on? Why don't you tweet about it? Why don't you invite some friends? Why don't you you follow everything that they suggest and just see at the end of that, have you had some joyful moments? And do I, have you had some genuine I, connections? Am I supposed to ask for that or do I have to wait for them to suggest it? Do I have to wait for them to be proactive about suggesting those things? I'd say, yeah, let's say you have to follow what they're saying. I have to follow because, what they're saying. OK. Yeah, because actually we can we can create a community anywhere we go. If we really if we've got if you just boom, we can do that. Boom, we create a community. <laughs> there's no community there. We turn up. Boom, there's a community. <laughs> But, you know, if you it's like it's the equivalent of if we really wanted to make friends in a bar, people would think we'd weird, but we're weird. But eventually we'd make friends. Right. Because if you put enough energy into something, it works. But actually, this is about. Are they doing what they say? And yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So be yeah, Captain Key. We're going undercover. We're doing the yeah. McIntyre investigates. And and uh, and maybe throw in the odds like you're really tearful. Are you a hey, are you okay, hun? Like post just to see you know 
Are people supportive? Do they get behind you? Ask some questions about, I can't believe it, my shoelace just broke halfway through a training run. I didn't stop my Strava. Like, is this the end for me? Just a weird, just to see how people respond to it. Um, I like this. I like this. Okay. Anyway, we've gone off on a massive tangent, well, no, haven't no, no, we? But that's, but that's the first thing. No, that's good, though, because it all, it all it goes into to, to virtual races. And, the, you know, a, a year ago, we wouldn't have said, oh, you know, Laz, he's going to be in charge of the biggest virtual race on, on the planet. Like the th- and the biggest th- virtual race series with bigs. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's um, it, it's all connected. The other thing I wanted to no- mention as well, which I've never noticed before, is the way that you say substantial. You say it in such a posh way. Go on, say it. What? Substantial. No, you didn't say unusual? it like that. You said substantial. Substantial. No, that's no. You, that's how you were really? saying it. Listen back to this. When you listen to this again, you'll be going, you, you'll realise you say substantial. Maybe it's something about his Tennessee twang that, that draws <laughs> it out of me. I, it takes me back to my colonial days and, uh, you know, Laz is, Laz is on the farm. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I know. Given that we recorded this about... Six weeks ago, you've been remembering that. But I must have you really embedded that. You said it in the last that. ten minutes. You said it in the last ten minutes. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, thank you for drawing poshness to uh, to it's my attention. I, I... Stop it! The poshness just—it it, it sort of sometimes <laughs> it just bubbles up and it just bursts out, and you don't even realise. And and for for our non-British listeners, basically in in the UK, poshness is almost a sin these days. Um, oh God! You, so yeah, I need absolutely. to. I need to guy rich it up and pretend that I'm an East East End Cockney geezer um, for credibility more than anything else. Um, you slag. So I'll be doing more. more there'll be more slags in my vernacular. <laughs> than, uh, Which what we want more slags on bad boy money. Which means something very different. Again, if you're it's effing substantial, mate. It's effing sub, isn't it? It's effing sub the chart. <laughs> yeah. So next week's going to be interesting. but um the and uh, what is going to be really interesting i think we should do it we want another follow-up with lads in two years time he's going to be coming over hopefully in january and january anyway for the the running show so we can talk to him about it then but um the, the the number of bigs backyard ultras is so big and it i genuinely think it's going to have a transformative effect on ultra running globally because he's almost the vehicle to these longer distances. And we, we've talked previously when we spoke to Laz and we talked to Courtney DeWalter um, about the, the the backyard format and that it is people's gateway into doing a hundred mile. It's the easiest way. Well, we've never done it, but I, I think it's probably the easiest way because you're, you're in a controlled environment that typically isn't too hard terrain easiest way to do 100 mile and the fact that these are now cropping up i mean the number they've got in sweden is ridiculous uh hughes now organizing in wales that they they really are everywhere i i i'd say there are more las las 100 milers in some countries and 100 milers if you count them as a 100 mile potential yeah so i i think this could be the the most transformative thing to happen to ultra running ever other than maybe Dean Karnassus' book. And it's not next week. Uh, in, a, in a few weeks' time, speak to Chris Finnell, who has run uh, every London Marathon. 
And he talks about in the early days when London Marathon started and, you know, just not that many people ran marathon like marathons because it was it was still seen as the pinnacle of, you know, athletic achievement. Mm. And there's there's certain things that come along that, you know, push that forward leaps and bounds. And it is things like, like you say, ultramarathon man, um, it, you know, in this country, Eddie Izzard doing those all those marathons in all those days. Showing Rob Young's book, Rob Young's book, just showing that you don't, you don't even need to do it. You just need a good story. Just need to hire a van. <laughs> we do, we're not talking about touring, like road touring. Um, but yeah, but that's it. So those kind of things that are like leaps and bounds. Um, and I think it's one of those things. It's one of those things that it makes a hundred milers available as uh, realistic but also as something that is because, you know, if you wanted to go and do a hundred miler in a race, you've got to go somewhere that's hosting a hundred miler. And, mm. you know, those, I mean, in the UK, they're, they're not that far. You know, we, we don't have to travel far, but it still might be far enough for it to be an issue for you. Um, but this, it, it kind of democratizes it a lot more. And so you're going to have people who are just doing, you know, and it's A to B. You need your crew to be yeah, able absolutely. to travel That's from the there. Thing. You need to get them all together. The times are then dependent on various other factors. It, it really changes what the yeah. hundred miler can be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But if you, I mean, if you go into a hundred miler completely ignorant, which I think is the best way to do it, then you know you don't worry about all those things. Um, but yeah, this is like you say, it's a much it's a much more controlled way. It's a much more um, uh, it, an easy way, um, a simpler way to, to do it. And so you can see it, you know, it, again, it making making the 100 mile available to more people, which, again, like you say, that, that is going to completely transform ultra running. And again, what people think is possible of themselves and of others. But yeah, the as soon as I'm back fit, that's going to be, I think my first 100 miler will be uh, a backyard. So uh, you've heard it here first. Let's do one together. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. As soon as we can, we will. Yeah. And the good thing With is, beer. we don't. Uh, what I like about it, we, yeah, you don't have to train that hard for it, do you? Versus other ones, because it's, you know what? There's not going to be. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But um, I think yeah, the, do, thing is, the thing about it, it depends on like the hundred miles you do, because most hundred, like most hundred milers that are kind of point to point, there is, you know, the terrain's the issue, and they tend to be. Um, they don't tend to be flat. They tend to be uh, like incorporating some element of hills and mountains and, and other aspects like that. So you you normally have to do some kind of you know, sort of conditioning training mm. um, on those as well. So I, I think you know. But also, I'd, I'd want to train for a time. Whereas with this, it would just be let's do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, do batters. What do you think? Is anyone did anyone take part in the the race across Tennessee? And would you do it in the future? Once we're out of lockdown, is this something that appeals to you to be able to? You know, people are already doing the a thousand miles in a year or um, similar challenges. Is this something that appeals, and would you do it? Um, but if you've enjoyed this episode, the last episode is obviously very very good. Uh, that. It's split into two because it's about five hours long and it goes into every single detail to do with the Barkley um, and his other races. You know, is it Race of the Ages? John Kelly, we've interviewed, who has finished it. Um, and we've interviewed him three times now, I believe. 
just can't well, keep really getting, we're just back. getting them all back on again. We, we're just going, we're going through it again. Yeah, I mean, we've we've interviewed who else is Dan Barclays? Um, Rhonda Marie, an amazing episode. Oh, yeah. She's got eight yeah. percent vision. She attempted it. Um, we spoke to Stephanie Case, who's attempted it. Nikki Spinks, who's attempted it. Um, James Elson, who's attempted it. Courtney DeWalter, who's uh, won the Bigs Backyard. Harvey Sweetland Lewis, who came second to her in the Bigs Backyard. Yeah. Um, Mike Wardian, I think, has attempted it. Has Dean Carnass attempted it? But all the, basically, anyone from America who's, who's been on our podcast has probably attempted it. So listen to them. <laughs> Amazing. And then, yeah, if you want to, if you want to share in the group, um, join the Facebook group, head over to Facebook, search Bad Boy Running Podcast, answer three questions and jump in there. And if you want to buy some merch, store.badboyrunning.com. And we've stocked up. Oh, apparently we've got woolly hats. Don't want to say. Yeah, we have got woolly We've had woolly hats for ages. I've, I just thought we had, oh, well, I've not looked at our store. Bobble hats. A... Bobble, you can get a bobble hat as well. The oh, woolly hat. Actually, actually, the woolly hats, when we were going through the process of voting for them, um, I was trying to make them sound more than they were by calling them last-style um, beanies in order to get more people, because they're red. So they're like last-style nice. beanie. And then we've also got the bobble hat as well. So you've got, classic, you've got the classic bad boy running logo, or you've got the FYB on it. Perfect. Well, thanks for listening, guys. If there's any suggestions for guests in the future, email me, david at badboyrunning.com. If you've got any comments on today or any other topics we've discussed, you can email us letters at babarun.com. And if you want to ask questions to our guests in the future, follow us on Instagram and we post in advance who we're going to be talking to. So you can ask your questions and we relay them directly. That's it, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 And give me one more try Cause a love like this Should I never ever die Come back Fuck you buddy